Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, April the 21st, 2022. It is currently 12.07 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live two stories above a street right here in Abilene, Texas. Yes, I'm coming to you from the second story bedroom here in my house, and I'm thankful that you're tuning in, and hopefully you will find this to be very beneficial, very interesting, and as always, I invite you to be a part of the discussion. You can always email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. You can also, um, if you're listening to me on Spreaker, you can jump into the chat at any time and offer your thoughts. Or if you're on our Discord channel, you can offer your thoughts there as well. Um, this one, what we're getting ready to be talking about, well, know, you know what? I think it's going to be interesting to get the perspective from women and get the perspective from men on this particular story. But before we get to the story, I want to make sure everyone knows, because I keep getting these. I know what you're thinking, pieces of paper. No, I keep getting emails, and I don't print them out, but this is the best way to to use some kind of a sound effect. I keep getting emails. Maybe we should do that. You've got mail. Okay, but that's kind of dated as well. But maybe that's more up to date than this, but yes, I keep getting emails and people keep say, I keep asking me in the emails, have you seen the new story dealing with John MacArthur that's been posted at julieroys.com? Now, if you've been following the, it just seems the never ending scandal dealing with John MacArthur, Grace Community Church, uh, I won't go through everything, but there's been one story after another, and another one has been published. It was published on April the 19th at 6.14 p.m. It says, exclusive, John MacArthur covered up pastor's sexual abuse, witnesses say. Now, uh, it everyone's talking about it. Once again, one of these stories drops, and then boom, everyone has an opinion. Those who are on MacArthur's side, you know, they attack the messenger. Those who hate MacArthur then use it to attack MacArthur. And anyone who tries to be in the middle tends to get shot from uh, from everyone on both sides. And it, it's just a horrible, ugly situation. But I just want everyone to know, yes, I am aware of the story. Again, headline exclusive, John MacArthur covered up pastor's sexual abuse, witnesses say. You can read it at julieroys.com. Now, I the re, one of the reasons I haven't done a broadcast about it is because, once again, if I turn on the microphone and read the story and try to work through it and try to be fair and not take any one particular side and just say this is a horrible situation, what lessons can we learn from it? We may not even know exactly for sure what can happen, so we not may not even be able to be dogmatic. Typically, when I get that, I just I end up making everyone mad instead of anyone going, thank you for trying to be a, a calming voice in the midst of the controversial storm. Thank you for trying to be fair. Thank you for trying to be balanced. No, people don't want fair. They don't want balance. They want you to come in hot. They want your hot take. They want you to take a side. They want you to either to excuse or condemn. They either want you to condemn the person writing the stories or they want you to condemn. And it's like, you know, uh, I, 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 there's enough of that. So I'm aware of it. So you can, 
Thank you. And, and I want to make it very clear. I appreciate your emails because sometimes I, I'm not aware of a story, but I just want everyone to know that at this point, as far as that story, you can stop emailing me the story. Now, please, by all means, you can share your thoughts and opinions on the story, but I, I don't need any more emails saying, have you seen the story? I have seen it. I do appreciate you sending me the link, but we're not going to be talking about that right now. But we are going to be talking about, well, the church, not Grace Community Church specifically, but all churches, all right? And this episode will be a part of our series that we call Eye on Christianity, where we turn our eyes to what's going on in the world of Christianity, and specifically, what is happening inside the church when it comes to men? Here's a question. Do you think the average Christian man, if they were really honest, deep down, they don't like going to church? They may go so far, may, they may go so far to say they hate going to church. Now, I know immediately there's going to be pushback going, no, uh, any man who's a true child of God would never say that. I know we always got to cover ourselves in a robe of self-righteousness and put on some fig leaves, but let's just be honest here. Let's not, you know, let, let, let's, that's the one thing I try to do here is try to get us all to be just open and honest because we're all sinners. We all have issues. We, we don't have to just put on the facade. We, we don't have to pretend, okay? Let's just be ourselves, right? We're flawed individuals, all of us. I think we can all admit that, right? So it, it maybe maybe you're not flawed. Well, welcome. Welcome to a, 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 a podcast where the host is flawed and 99% of the listeners are flawed. So it's good to have someone who's not. So may, maybe your perfection can rub, out, rub, uh, rub off on the rest of us, but maybe it can rub out our imperfection. No, I, I doubt it, but but welcome anyway. But I would agree that most, I think all, I, I mean, obviously I'm being a little sarcastic. We're all flawed. And sometimes we put on a facade, I think, when we go into church. You know, I think we, we there's a way we have to act and, and we have to pretend. But if we could strip away all of the of the facade, strip away all the church mask and strip away all of the pretend, when it comes to the average man sitting in the pew, if they were honest, they would say, I, I don't really like church. I don't like being here. I'd rather be somewhere else. And some may go so far to say, I absolutely hate it. What do you think? Well, the reason I'm asking this is this morning, I don't even know how I stumbled across this article, but I came across an article entitled, are you ready for this? Here is the title, The Truth About Why Men Hate Going to church. Now, they're not even asking it as a question. They're stating it as a fact, and they're going to expose the truth to why men hate going to church. They're not asking the question, do men hate going to church? Do men, do, the average man, most of them, do they, you know, dislike church? No, they're saying dogmatically, here's the truth about why men hate going to church. What do you think, what do you think their answer is going to be? What do you think the truth is? Now, you may, you still may disagree and say, no, I don't think men hate going to church. You, you, you can give me your perspective, but I, I'm interested in an article that just comes at it and from a very dogmatic perspective. Men hate going to church. Why are they so dogmatic about it? How do they come to this conclusion? Well, here we go. And I am going to begin the article. This is written by Chris Bollinger 
from Crosswalk. Well, he's a contributing writer for Crosswalk.com, Chris Bollinger. Here is what he writes. Again, the headline, The Truth About Why Men Hate Going to Church. It looks like this was published in March of 2022. Um, Right underneath the headline, there's a picture. It shows, uh, I mean, it shows a congregation of people uh, standing. I can't say that it's it's dominated by women. There's women there. There's also men. So uh, the see I, from the picture, if I'm just trying to interpret the picture, that the men are there, but the reality is they hate being there. Like, like it shows men in the church, but the reality is they're not happy to be there. I wonder, do, 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 we, do, do we think that's true? Well, let's see what they have to say. About 15 years ago, an elder at a Presbyterian church in Alaska had a crisis of faith. I loved God, but I hated going to church, he recalls. Sunday morning would find my body in the pew, but my heart was elsewhere. When he looked around, he saw many, he saw many other men like him, Christian men, including born again, spirit filled, faithful followers of Christ, went through the motions on Sunday morning. They attended church only to keep their wives happy or they had stopped attending altogether. So according to this, this man looked around and he saw all these other men. Again, he describes them born again, spirit filled, faithful followers of Christ. But they were simply going through the motions on Sunday simply to keep the wife happy. And if it wasn't for the wife, they would not be attending church. That's a strong statement. That's a strong statement. And and I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think back to my Christian life and my Christian life, trying to think back through my Christian life to see if I've ever felt that when I walked into church, like, you know what? I think men would hate this. That the, I think the only time I ever kind of brought up, like, I wonder how they perceive this is I've, I've, most of the churches, I think, well, all the churches I've attended have been predominantly white, right? They're from white, uh, dominated by white people from kind of, you know, middle-class, you know, families, just kind of from a, a certain kind of background, just kind of from a certain, in other words, the church had a certain kind of culture, and sometimes someone from a completely different culture, a different background would walk in, right? Maybe a different race, different country, whatever. And sometimes I would just ask myself, I wonder, I wonder how they feel. Like, I wonder if they feel out of place. I wonder, I wonder if they don't like it, if they would rather be in a church that was more close, closely liked to or closely resembled their culture and their background. I think I've asked myself that question a couple of times. Um, but I, I've never looked at it going, I wonder how men feel. I, I don't think I've ever saw it as a, as men, like church has a specific focus on a, on a, on a specific, you know, gender, male or female. I don't think I've ever thought that way, but it's interesting that this man looked around and he felt that most of the men there didn't want to be there. They, they were committed Christ followers, but they didn't want to be at church. They absolutely hated church and they were only there to please their wives. That's okay. Let, let, let's see where this, this thought leads to the next paragraph. He decided to do some research and that research resulted in the book, why men hate 
going to church, which has now sold over 150,000 copies and spawned a Facebook page, Church for Men, that has over 5,000 followers and a weekly post reach of 50,000 people. Now, you can draw your own conclusion about those numbers, but I think the numbers are included in the article to show you that this man did some research. He wrote a book called Why Men Hate Going to Church. He, there's a Facebook page called Church for Men, and a lot of this is clearly demonstrated there's something to this. In other words, they're giving you these numbers and everything happening to try to show you there, there's something to this. This is just not someone's weird idea. There's something to this concept that men hate going to church, and then they have a Facebook page called Church for Men. Is the Church for Men on Facebook? Like, hey, if you're a man and you want to go to church, you need to do so on Facebook. I, I would have to look at it to know. I don't have a Facebook account, but you you would have to. I, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on there. Don't, I mean, you know, you can look and tell me what you, you think. But next paragraph. Now here, here's, this is a, this is a strong statement. They have this in bold type, right? Here we go. Traditional churches are geared for women. Traditional churches are geared for women. Now, I may have thought that, you know, modern evangelical megachurches are geared for women, but they're saying traditional churches are geared for women. Now, do you do you believe that? Again, that's what I was trying to sit there and think I know live on the air, but I was trying to think back in my, you know, through my Christian life. And I don't think I ever looked around and go, you know, I, I think this is geared for women. I never, again, the only time I've ever had any kind of, you know, kind of thought that would kind of even come close to this is again, being in basically predominantly white churches where there's just kind of a, just kind of a certain culture there. And someone would walk in from a different culture. And I would just kind of like, I wonder if this feels like so out of place and weird and, and I wonder, what should we, what should we do? You know, why, why, you know, I, I would just ask some questions like that. Just trying to figure that out. Not, not, I don't, I can't say that I ever came to any real conclusions. I'm just trying to be honest that that's the only time I kind of raised something that would be similar to this. I never looked around and go, man, this is made for women. This is a, this is a, this is, this is a church for women. This is a woman's church. I, I, I never, I never had those thoughts. I kind of just like, I, that's just, just, I just go to church, right? I mean, do you feel that it's geared for women? Let's, let's see where they're going. I've already got, I'm trying to hold myself back because I've got some thoughts of my own, but I'm curious to see where they go with this. All right. The person writing describes this and, and, and is talking about himself here. The, the person writing says, I've been in the TV and video production industry for over 30 years, says the book's author. I'm sorry. So the, the person who wrote the book, so that, do, that, do they name him? That's weird. Okay, they don't name. So it, they immediately go into quotes as if this is the author speaking about himself, but he's actually referring to the person. Uh, okay. This is really weird. They haven't identified this person yet. So the person who wrote the book, Why Men Hate Going to Church, this is him speaking about himself. He says, I've been in the TV and video production industry for over 30 years, says the book's author. Now they're going to give you his name. David Murrow, M-U-R-R-O-W. So David Murrow wrote a book called Why Men Hate Going to Church. That spawned a Facebook group, called a Facebook page called Church for Men. 
then the person who wrote the book, David Morrow, said, I've been in the TV and video production industry for over 30 years, says the book's author. In my business, you learn that everything has a target audience. ESPN has a different target audience than the Oxygen Channel, for example. Now, let's just stop right here. Now, I agree that in every business, you have a key demographic. You have a key customer. You have a key audience. And that in in the television industry, you have a key demographic or a key audience that you're trying to appeal to. If you're ESPN, you're going for one demographic. If you're the Oxygen Channel, you're going for a different one. I completely agree. But here's my question. I've already asked questions about men and women in church, but now here's the real question. Should that truth that that's how it works in business, that's how it works in television, that's how it works in radio, that's how it works. Should that have anything to do with how the church thinks? Should the church look around and go, who's our key demographic? Who are we trying to reach? Shouldn't the church just be, we're here to please Christ and to equip saints? I've never felt that the church's job is to try to appeal to people The church's job is just to be there and say, we preach and teach the word of God, and our job is to please Christ and to equip saints. And I I don't know. This seems like marketing 101, and I know churches rely on marketing 101 to grow their little mini kingdoms. I just don't know if that's really how the church should think. But clearly, the churches who think that way are, from a human perspective, successful and those of us who don't think that way end up in little bitty churches in the middle of nowhere, Texas, with very few people. <laughs> okay, so so don't listen to me. I'm obviously an idiot and don't know what I'm talking about. All right, but he goes on to say, Morrow offers, if the typical church were a TV show, it would be on the Oprah network. The culture of the church is very much oriented towards women. So if, if the church was a TV show, it would be on the Oprah network and that it's 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 for women. It's the churches for women. Again, I don't, have you ever felt that? I'm still trying to figure out if I've ever felt that. All right. Uh, I'm just, I'm I'm thinking out loud here. I'm, I'm trying to process this. All right, here we go. David Morrow adds, at the mainline church where I served as an elder, most of our ministries revolved around traditionally feminine roles in caring for the sick, caring for the children, ladies' teas, ladies' scrapbooking nights. It definitely was skewed towards women, in particular older women. It's the perfect institution for these women to use their gifts. Now, again, I say I'm, I'm, I, I can't relate to some of these articles. Why in the world is the church having a ladies' tea? Why is the world the church having a scrapbooking night? That None of that is, that's not what the church is called to do. The church is called to equip saints. Why? I still don't understand why churches offer all of these kinds of groups and activities. And I don't, I don't get it. 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 Now, obviously, if you don't do this, people, people get mad and they go find the churches that offer these things. Now, you'll have people who'll show up to a church like mine and they'll say, I'm like, wait, I have nothing to offer you other than the teaching of God's word. That's it. 
If you're looking for activities, you're looking for groups, we don't have anything. You want to get together with people in the church and do scrapbooking? By all means, plan it on a Friday night. You want to get together and drink tea? Fine. Get to, you can, you want to get together and have a picnic? Get everybody, you, you, the people in the church can get together Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. There just doesn't need to be a church sponsored church activity because the church is not called to do those things. The church is called to be equipping saints. That, that's what we're called to do. But, but people will show up and go, okay, I like that because I got tired of all the activities. And then next thing you know, they're like, well, maybe we should be doing this. And next thing you know, wait, I thought you came here because you were tired of all of those activities. And the next thing you know, they're basically telling you if you don't have a camping trip, that you're a horrible church and a horrible pastor. And it's like, okay, uh, enough's enough. That this, this, You need to go find where you can get all of your activities because I don't believe that's what the church is called to do. So, yeah, I, I guess if your church is holding, you know, uh, ladies' teas and ladies' scrapbooking nights, you would probably get a, a sense that it's that it's um, geared for women. But I, I wonder, did the church, is this one of those things that the church said, we need a ladies' tea or a ladies' scrapbooking, or is it where the women in the church said, we need these activities? So is it because the church was geared for the women or that the women in the church stepped up to create activities that was geared for them where the men could have stepped up and said, let's, let's have Monday night football night or what, you know, working on cars, whatever, you know, supposedly the, the, the stereotypical male activities are supposed to be. Is it because women tend to be more social than men? I mean, I mean, they're kind of blaming the church here, but I just know how it works. That's probably there were women in the church who's like, hey, ladies, let's get together and do this. It was probably the ladies who said, let's get together. And then the ladies got together and it may not even been anything that the church designed or even planned. So I don't know if the church can be blamed for that, but let's continue here. However, Morrow points out men's gifts lie fallow. The things that guys are into, strategic planning, Sports, competition, these things are frowned on in the church. Church is supposed to be a warm, nurturing place where we hold hands and love each other. (laughs) That's not a men's thing. We don't love each other as men. We don't nurture each other. We we need sports. We need competition. That's what men need. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. It's kind of really, really just sticking right there with the stereotypical thing. You know, there are men who don't like sports. You know, there are men who are not that competitive. I I don't know if you realize. I I hate when we create these like, this is what a man's supposed to be. That's what a woman is. I I can't stay. I hate that. And the reason I hate that is because like, you know, I I grew up in an area where if you're a man, you got a gun, you went out there and you killed Bambi. You you went deer hunting. You went dove hunting. Well, I hate hunting. I absolutely hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. Have no, have no desire to be involved in said activity. If I'm out there, I'm going to be able run, Bambi, run. I'm going to be trying to save the animals, right? And really, you're you're not masculine enough. I, I hate that. Look, why do we, why do we have to make it that we're individuals? I'm an individual, right? Okay, I don't have to follow your stereotypical guidelines what and you're supposed to work on cars yeah got to work on cars got to know what in, that engine is and i i don't know i so if you ask me right now what kind of car i drive i know it's silver i know it's a toyota i don't know the kind i don't know the engine i don't know the year i don't know anything 
Okay. I, I can, I know how to put gas in it. That's about it. Okay. I've never changed the oil in a car. I mean, like, you, and you can say, well, what's your problem? What's your, yeah, I, I don't. So I, right there, I just don't like that idea that. So the thing is, so you're seeing that what men need, they need a church that offers them sports. Doesn't men get enough sports without church? And I've seen plenty of churches do the whole softball nonsense, softball leagues, or and have sports leagues, which I don't even understand because it has nothing to do with church. So I'm already kind of not, I was hoping the article was going to give us some great insight. This is not great insight. Okay. This, this really isn't great insight at all. In fact, it seems to be calling for the church to offer programs to me that have nothing to do with the church in the first place. Uh, first place. They go on to say it here, women naturally excel at church and most men don't. Now that's interesting. Do you think that in church, women tend to excel and men do not? Now, before I, I read anything else here, okay, I, I like some of the things he's saying here, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the way that, that they're trying to like, here's the, here's what men like and here's what women, I, you can say, well, there, there's some, you know, that may be true generally. I, I just still don't like it that I, I just, I like people are individuals and they're going to be who they are. I don't care if they fit the stereotypical role. I just, I can't stand that. All right, but here we go. When we think of the church, and that women excel and men do not. We're going to have to read here in a minute to see if they define what excelling is. Like, what do you mean by excel? What does that look like? But I will say this. From my own experience, now this is not scientific. This is not saying anything dogmatic. I'm just going from my own personal experience. Here is what I have found. That the average man who goes to church tends to be not very theological, not really that involved in Bible study, seems to, I'm not saying that they hate God or anything, they just don't seem to care to talk about theology, don't really care to talk about the doctrine, doctrine don't really care to talk about the Bible, don't care to talk about church history, that's just not their kind of thing, they don't seem to be into it, they're not readers, they're not, they don't, they usually don't carry a notebook around taking notes, they're not, they're just, they're not walking around with books, it's just, they just seem to be, the average man doesn't seem to be involved in those kinds of activities. Where what I have found is men, women tend to have the notebook. They'll read, if you offer, if you suggest a book from the pulpit, they're going to read it. They're listening to sermons. They can talk doctrine. They can talk theology. And it's just, it's just, if, if, if you know, if there's, if, if I have to choose who I'm going to talk to, the, the average woman in the church is probably going to give, have a better theological discussion than the average man. That, that's what I have just seen over and over and over in my Christian experience. However, there is an exception. There is always an exception. If you have a church where there's a number of men who possibly feel called to the ministry, they will be the ones carrying the book, the notebook, wanting to read, wanting to talk doctrine, wanting to talk theology, listening to sermons. It's, it's But it's usually those who have some you can see that they, they, they are struggling or thinking or may have already decided that they have a, a desire for ministry, right? And it's like, okay, here's the men, and then here's the men called for ministry, and the difference is night and day. But the men who feel called to ministry, in many cases, 
are, are very much like the average, like in other words, the average woman in the church sometimes acts more like the men who are called to ministry than the average person where the average man doesn't act like, well, not like they even care to be there or have any, they don't have any real interest in the subject. They're, you can see that their passion, their focus is something completely other than the things of God. Not saying that they're not Christian, just saying they don't seem to be like, so today I was reading this and I was studying this and I was doing this and look at this and yeah, I was listening to this. It just seems like, no, that it's, it's, it's going to be the women. Why is that? I, I don't know. I can't explain it. I've always I've told the story a million times. I when I became a Christian in a Southern Baptist church, West Texas, man, I had a hunger, I had a desire to learn. I wanted doctrine, I wanted theology, I, I wanted answers. And no man in the church helped me. No man in the church was there, not at all. It was an older woman, again, in my mind, she was like 80. I don't know exactly how old she was, she was older. And after school, I'd write, I would go to her house, sit down on the floor. She sat in her, her rocking chair. She had a big Bible, and she would just t- tell me something about the Bible or doctrine or theology. And that that and I, that was wh- kind of where I got dis- I got discipled by an older woman and discipled by Christian radio, listening to a pastor's sermons. But I could not seem to get any of the men in the church, or even the teenage boys to do so. Now, there was one other teenage boy who seemed to be interested in the things of God, but he felt possibly called to ministry. The rest of the teenage boys didn't. Guess who? The teenage girls seemed to be ones who would be more interested in the things of God once again. And that's what started even as a teenager. And then as an adult, it was the women who would want to talk doctrine or theology, not the men, other than men who were called to ministry. Why, why is that? If, if we just, just, I'll just say this. If we look at uh, the Bible study exercises that we do, right? As a podcast, we do the Bible study exercise. Well, each week is dedicated to a passage of scripture. We give homework and assignments. You know where 90% of the people who are active participating in the Bible study exercises are? Take a guess. Women, not men. 90%, easy. Maybe even 95. It may be up to 96, 97%. The ones who are doing the work, turning in the homework, they've got their notebooks, they've got their, in many cases, it's, it's, it's women. Why, I, I can't, exp- why is it that women seem to excel in these areas where many men either, they don't excel, but they don't seem to have a desire to want to. Now, I, I've struggled with this because at, at sometimes I was thinking, man, maybe I'm just too hard on men. Maybe I'm just too hard on men because they're not called to ministry. Like I had to realize this. Like sometimes as a young, as when you're a young preacher, you're like, what is wrong with all of you? And you have to realize, wait a minute, you're called to ministry. You're, 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 you're going to have a hunger and a desire for the things of God. You're, you're not going to be satisfied unless you're reading doctrine and theology and listening to sermons. That, that's going to be your life because you're called to it. Okay. So then I'm like, oh, you know what? I can't, I can't expect everyone to be like that because they're not called to ministry. But then you'll sit there and go, but wait a minute, these women aren't called to ministry and they are like that. So why are they like that and the men are not? I, I, I don't, maybe you have a different experience, but it's really weird to me. I've seen this over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Again, if there's a quote unquote church activity, a quote unquote church fellowship, if there aren't men called to ministry around me, 
then, then I know that I, if I'm going to have any kind of a conversation be, dealing with doctrine, theology, church history, it's going to be a, a woman is going to be the one doing it, not a man. I, I, I don't have any answers. I have no answers there at all. All right. Here's what they say. Women naturally excel at church and men and most men do not. Okay. Why is the congregation at a typical mainline church 60 to 70% female? Hmm. Now, I can't say I've always seen, I don't think I've ever seen that. I don't think I've ever seen a church where the, the, the congregation is typically 60 to 70% female. I don't think I've ever witnessed that. I, I I can almost no I I think it's always been pretty even. I don't. You, you can tell me what you see when when you go to church. Do you see more women or more men? Like like I don't I don't know. I can't say there. I'm I'm a little that doesn't quite fit my experience. I've seen the men there. Just the men don't seem to be too interested in anything other than football, the weather, guns, hunting cars, their jobs, politics. I, 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 you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I the news, I, I don't know what, what they're, they're into. All right. So, but I don't know, but it says, think about the skills that you need to be good at being a churchgoer. Okay. What skills do you need to be good at being a churchgoer? The, the author of this book says, you need to sing. You need to be able to read aloud like lectionary readings responsive readings, and so on. Okay, I, I don't, okay, that's that's putting it like if you're going to a liturgical church. So, okay, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I agree with that. If you go to Sunday school class, then you'll be asked questions about a text and may have to read a text from the Bible. Are you telling me if you're asked questions about the text? See, this is implying that if you if you're in a in a church, well, and and I in my teaching, I'm always asking questions. They seem to imply that women excel at that and not men. Men are not good at that. Women excel in responding to the questions. I don't know if I agree with that either. Now, in my church, I mean, you can go listen to our sermons. You do hear a lot of women, typically the women answering, but typically the loudest. Now, that bothers some people. I don't have a problem because uh, they're not teaching. They're they're just answering a question. They're not in a pastoral role. Um, And I I want the people engaged in that. So do you think women are better at answering questions? Do you think women are better at, at engaging in a conversational discussion kind of way, doctrine, theology, church history, where men are not? I, I do think this, this is what I, I, I have seen this. Typically, the women are more there to answer, to add, where I, not, I, I think most of the time, Sometimes men come at it in a more uh, confrontational way, argumentative way. Like if a woman disagrees, 
She typically just may ask a question for clarification, but she's not going to sit there and try to argue where a man will, when they, when they raise their hand or start, you almost, sometimes you're just kind of like, oh boy, here we go. It's going to be almost uh, confrontational. Why, I wonder why is that? Are, Are women more prone to be learners where men are more prone to be disagreeers. <laughs> is, is that a possibility? I, I don't know. But that's just interesting that they seem to say, hey, that if you ask questions about the text, that, that seems to be a, a, a female thing. You have socializing before and after the service, coffee hour, and those sorts of things. It's a lot of interpersonal skills, verbal skills, and artistic skills. If you take those skills and look at the population, again, the author suggests, there are more women than men in the population who possess those gifts. Now, there are certain, certainly men out there who are verbal, studious, sensitive, and musical, but their numbers tend to be smaller. And for the most part, those are the guys who tend to find, we tend to find in church. So men who are studious, men who are sensitive, men who are musical, Tim to be in church, men who are not studious, men who are not sensitive, and men who are not musical tend not to go to church. So you're saying we need a church that, that somehow, uh, somehow appeals to men who are not studious, who are not sensitive, and who are not musical. Hi. I, I, I'm trying to process this one. I'm trying to process it. Right, un, right underneath that, they have this in bold. We're setting up a situation that if wives are better at it, husbands might quit. Morrow maintains that men don't hate God or hate Jesus. They simply hate church going because their wives are much better at it. Do you, do you think that's true? That a man like, I hate this church name because my wife's so much better at it. I mean, I, I know I keep trying to use like a Southern accent. I, I apologize for that. Just, I don't know what else. To, I, I don't know. I don't know what other, I don't even know. Like, I'm trying to picture like a man saying that. I don't want to go to church anymore because my wife is better at it. It just seems like a very, like, do, would, do men think that way? I, I don't want to be shown up by some woman. Now, now, maybe, I think some men, maybe some men are intimidated if a woman is better at them. I've never, I've never been intimidated by that. I don't care. I don't care. I've been in martial arts a good portion of my life and in and, and, and martial arts training. You're training with men and you're training with women. And I've had, I've, I've uh, been beaten multiple times by women in sparring or in other, in other things in martial arts. And I don't like, oh, I got beat by a woman. I don't care. I like, I like, I, I like, I don't understand that. Like, I don't know. Would, would a man actually be that petty? I don't like, maybe, I don't think they would ever verbalize it. I wonder if it's a subconscious thing. That just seems weird, right? They go on to say, um, so again, they maintain that men don't hate God or hate Jesus. So they don't hate God or hate Jesus. These men are Christians, but they simply hate going to church because wives are better at it. When I was a young man in my early 20s, I briefly took up the game of golf, he says. I quickly learned that I had, I have absolutely no knack for the game. If my ball wasn't in the sand trap, then it was in the water. After two or three bad rounds, I did what most men do when they're not good at something. I quit. I put my clubs away and never picked them up again. Is that, a, is that the typical thing men do if they're not good at something, they quit? I think there's probably some truth to that. 
man, that's, yeah, I'm doing a lot of thinking out loud here. I'm doing, a th- this is where I almost wish there was a congregation in front of me where people would be like, well, no, yes, no. And everybody would have a thought or an opinion here. Maybe if I was doing this live broadcast later in the evening, we would have more uh, input. Um, I don't know. He, they go on to say, we've set up a situation with church. Joe Smith tries it. He doesn't find God there, doesn't find anything that he's good at there, and feels like he's not needed there. There's really only one man who's needed there, and that's the pastor. Since Joe Smith is never going to preach, he doesn't see a future for himself within this institution. Now, that's an, that's an interesting, that's, that's kind of, that's, I, I don't know if this is where the author intended to go, but it kind of scratches the surface. I wonder if men, like if, if you, if you're in a church, typically it's going to be male leadership. If it's a biblical church, I don't wonder if most men are like, well, he's the one doing the preaching. He's doing the one, the talking, he's the one doing the answering of the question. I, I wonder why that's why sometimes men tend to be more confrontational when they try to answer theological questions because they almost want to be like, no, I can, I I can, I can answer this just as good as he can. I know this just as, I wonder if there's something in the male ego that like, you know, and, and, and since I can't be the one answering it all the time, since I'm not the one preaching, then I want no, there's nothing for me here. I wonder if there's a little bit in that within men. Where women don't feel that competitive, like, okay, he has the answers. They don't feel that they have to prove something where a man has to prove, I got to prove that I am just as smart. I know just as much. Maybe I never struggled with that because I always viewed it like literally from a teenager that I'm going to be a pastor one day. I'm going to be in ministry one day. So I was just like study, 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 study. But maybe over time, Younger in my Christian life, maybe I, that's one of the reasons I at times find myself in confrontation with the church because, yeah, maybe, maybe it's a competitive thing. And in and, and a sense, the game is stacked. He's the pastor. He's the one teaching. He's the one going to get the final say. And so men get sick of that. That's an interesting concept. They go on to say here, uh, truth is many men profoundly interact with God outside of organized religion. In fact, Morrow continue, again, the one who wrote the book, Joe probably feels that he can connect better with God outside of the institution of organized religion. I've talked with men who have had profound experiences with God while they're out hunting or out on a boat on the water. So once again, that that whole hunting and uh, again, hunt, hunting and fishing. Look, I don't have no desire to be hunting, have no desire to be fishing, and literally I have no desire to be outside, okay? So, so okay. All right. Um, he goes on to say, it sounds like a dodge. So we, uh, so we tell these men, oh, you're just making excuses, but it's true. I mean, these guys have profound experiences with God in the field, doing things with their kids. They experience God at a gut level. I think that's because that they're in the area of, they're in, they're in their area of competence, they feel comfortable there, and God speaks to them in their comfort. That they they have a, a, a more profound experience with God when they're in the area of their expertise. But when they come to church, men don't like to be in an area of someone else's expertise. So the men try to be the expert, even the, maybe that's why men are so confrontational in church. Like I'm in this area, this is not my area of expertise. 
but I'm going to prove to you that it's my, that, that they're go, they got to somehow demonstrate that there is their area of expertise. Is there something at a subconscious level that may create some of the problems? And maybe this is more an insight to what creates problems in the church than really, really answers why men hate church. That's just some interesting thing. They go on to say, I know we're at 43 minutes. I, I didn't, I didn't think we would end up here. All right. Um, let, let's, let's go to the next part here. Um, if many men hate going to church, then what's the church to do? Start with the sermon. Murrow offers a lot of recommendations in his book. The best starting point he suggests is the sermon. So, so in other words, if men don't like going to church, the first thing we have to start working, uh, we got to start tinkering with, we got to start changing is the sermon. I just find it interesting that anytime, <laughs> any anytime there's an issue with who's attending church, number of people going to church, people dropping out of church, we got to attract new people. Whenever it, there's an issue with the church, we always start with, we got to fix the sermon. It's always the sermon's fault. It's always the preaching's fault. Okay, it's, it's, I find that interesting, but okay, let's see, let's see, so what do I have to fix? So, okay, so I preach, all right, I got my Bible here, I got my pencil, all right, I got, I need to write down, what do I need to change before Sunday? It's Thursday before Sunday, and I stand before that congregation to go through Jude, to continue in Romans 9, looking at the promises to Israel, all right, uh, Sunday night, Matthew 24, before I get to church, what do I need to change so that men will not hate church? Let's see what they tell me to do. What do I need to do? All right, here we go. A man-friendly sermon. Okay, something just popped up on the screen, All right? Here we go. A man-friendly sermon will reach not just men, but women as well. Women are blessed with a very flexible multitasking brain he says so so if i preach sermons that are that are men sermons women women will receive them as well because women are flexible and women are good at multitasking <laughs> okay all right let me see so women these things keep popping up on the screen here okay women can't do ma- women can do masculine but men don't usually do well with highly verbal feminine type presentations. So if you preach to the men, the women will often enjoy it as well. So what is a sermon? I would like to know what is a sermon? <laughs> What's a man's sermon? What's a man's sermon? Like I, I just opened the text and we expound the text. How do I expound the text in a, in a way that's pleasing to the masculine brain versus preaching in a way that's, that's appealing to the feminine brain? Like how I don't, that, okay, I, I don't think they're going to offer much here. Let's see. Okay, here we go. Shorter is better, he contends. If you're going to plant a church, I would preach 10-minute sermons. <laughs> I got to laugh. I got to laugh. I don't even know what a 10-minute sermon is. I don't even know what a 10-minute podcast is. 10 minutes? I haven't even got, I'm probably still 10 minutes away. At the 10-minute mark, I'm probably still 10 minutes into my, I, I probably still have 10 to 15 minutes to go just in my introduction. What is a 10-minute sermon? What would even be the point 
so, so now I'm questioning. I'm, I'm quite, that is, re- so for so basically what I'm saying is men, you got to keep it short because men can't hang in there very long. So you got to give those men to, this, this is almost insulting to me as a man. This is like men are too stupid to listen to a long story. Men's brains cannot maintain attention. I like that is, I know it's what it's, it, I find it fascinating. Let's reverse this a little bit. I find it fascinating that that when it comes to Christianity in the church, the church is always willing to like, okay, we'll change this, we'll change this. I wonder if this same kind of concept was put forth for the for the, for the school that your children go to. Well, you know, children have short attention spans, so we're only going to have ten minute lessons in this school. Each class, each subject is only only going to be a ten minute lesson, and then they get free time until the next until the next uh, course, until the next class, and then they'll get a ten minute lesson. It's a new concept we called, you know, to to because the the girls can catch on, and this will help the boys with their brain. Like what? I think you'd be like, no, I, I need a new school. Oh, hopefully you would need a new church. He goes, I would market my church as the home of the 10-minute sermon. When people are polled, long, boring, irrelevant sermons is the number one thing that people don't like about church. If you want a 10, here's, I'm just going to be, I'm going to, I'm just going to be as blunt as I can be. If you want a 10-minute sermon, you don't want church because church is where the preaching of God's word is there to equip saints so they'll no longer be tossed to and fro wind of doctrine. If you want a 10-minute sermon, you could care less what the Bible says because there is no way for me to even come close to properly handling a text of scripture. It is impossible for me to expound it. It's impossible to me to exegete it in any way, shape, or form in 10 minutes. If you're really going to expound a text of scripture, if you're if you're even going to come close to doing a decent job, forty five minutes is a minimum, and I never I'm I'm horrible at even getting forty five minutes. Now I could I could probably do better if I did less trying to engage the people. A lot of my time, if you go look at the time in my sermons, a lot of it is trying to engage or getting people to try to answer. But I would rather go longer getting people engaged than going shorter and they just sit there and basically you know, be quiet and just listen to me. I, I I prefer getting them involved and trying to help them figure out how are we going to outline this and what do we think about this and what's a good cross-reference and, okay, okay, well, what's the answer here? And, and you'll hear me say this all the time. Someone will say, um, oh, there's a verse that says this. I'm like, and I'll say, well, where's the verse? And then I'll just stop. I'll go, I'll literally step back from the pulpit, just lean against the wall and go, you guys find it. I'm not going to find it. I'm not going to look it up. I'm not going to look it up. And you'll see sometimes it may take 10 minutes of our sermon time with them trying to find it. That, that's just the way I want engagement. I don't want passive. I don't want passivity. I don't want people just sitting in the pew, just looking at me. I want them involved. I want them with notebooks. I want them with Bibles. I want them with Bible dictionary. And that's why we have Bible dictionaries in, in all the pews. That's why I want them looking things. That's why I tell everyone in the church to get the Bible, uh, the blue letter Bible app. And I'm wanting them to look up the Greek and I'm wanting them to look up the Hebrew. And I'm wanting them to look up the cross references. That's, that's in many cases, I will, I will come to the pulpit sometimes with a, an outline, but I will ignore my outline and try to help have the congregation try to figure out the outline. So, man, structuring the message around an object lesson is the approach used by the greatest preacher in history, Jesus. 
Men are visual learners, says Morrow. A lot of skilled preachers are using video to supplement their sermons, but the very best thing for the pastor is to actually bring an object into the pulpit when when he, they say, or she speaks. All right, now let me stop right here. If you constantly, every sermon, you got to bring an object lesson. Every sermon, you got to bring an object lesson. Let me tell you, at some point, that object lesson is going to become meaningless because they see it over and over and over and over. And then look, think of think of this. Churches have been trying to use video. Um, what are those slides called? What is not Excel? Are they Excel slides? What are they called? I can't even remember. I hate them. I had we had to use them in the military. What in the world are those slides called? PowerPoint slides, I guess PowerPoint, whatever it is, churches have been using slides. I I hate them. I I usually hate all of that stuff, right? But uh, churches have used all of that. Now, look at where we are. They've used video. They've used drama. They've used object lessons. They've used PowerPoint slides. They've used everything, right? That's been used and used and used and used and used and used. And today, the church is still more biblically illiterate than it's ever been theologically illiterate, illiterate when it comes to church history. All of those tools didn't fix the problem. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't times an object lesson can be very, look, if an object lesson really, look, if you're just finding an object lesson simply to have an object lesson, then I think the object lesson becomes meaningless. If it, if you're, if you're like, you know, how do I get this point across? Oh, this would be good. Then there, then by all means use it. There's times I've brought something to the pulpit to show or to you. There's times I have, but I, I felt that it really would be beneficial. But you know what I, I, I found over and over and over is people would, may, in many cases, may remember the object lesson, but completely miss the entire point of the sermon. So then at that point, the object lesson did not help. It actually hindered. So... um it says, uh, they, the, again, the author of the book, one time I spoke in a church, it was from inside a box. <laughs> so he, he spoke and he, he, he stood inside, a, he, he was inside a box the whole time. Another successful sermon I saw was delivered from on top of a ladder. And a sermon on the difference between grace and works, the pastor used a debit card versus a gift card. With a debit card, you can withdraw only what you've paid in. Where the gift card, God pays in and you spend it on, on whatever you want. If a pastor really wants to turn his church around and get men in the pews, then he should preach concise sermons built around object lessons. A pastor who does that will have a church full of men in a few years. So I, if you do object lessons, the men will be like, I like this. I, it just seems so... Maybe it's true, but I just feel like that all of these tricks have been used. And and again, how is he defining a successful sermon? It was successful because the men liked it? Or was it successful because six months later, they remembered the doctrine, theological truth, or they understood the passage of scripture better than they ever had before? Like, what? how do we define success? Is success just getting men in the pew? I think the success of a sermon is the ability to expound the text correctly so people rightly understand it. Unfortunately, this approach is not taught in seminary. Pastors are taught in seminary to speak words. They are not taught to implement, to implant truth. We live in a highly visual culture, and yet we stubbornly cling onto the traditional lengthy spoken sermon because anything else is just entertainment or pandering to the lowest common denominator. 
Are you ready to inspire more men to love the church again? Take the first step with sermons that men relate to and understand naturally. Now, what bothers me is the Bible seems to speak of preaching of God's word, and we're like, well, we're in a different culture. Let's throw that out. All right, now the book again, let me go here and see if I can find it for you. The name of the book, and I would challenge you to read the book, is Why Men Hate Going to Church. You can find it on Amazon, Why Men Hate Going to Church. The book was written all the way back in 2011, for crying out loud. So this co- these concepts have been thrown around, and, and that's the paperback. The hardback may have even come out before that. So this book is old, all right? Um and it goes on to say, uh, see, the, you can buy the paperback for $12.99, uh, the Kindle for $9.99. However, there are all kinds of used copies for like $2. So by all means, get you a used copy. Um, here, we, here we go. This is, uh, uh, this is the updated version. So this is not even, who knows when the original version was written. It's 256 pages long. Here's the description. Christianity is the only world religion with a chronic shortage of men. David Moreau identifies the barriers to male participation and explains why it's so hard to motivate the men. Uh, Why it's so hard to motivate the men who do go to church. Then he takes you inside several fast-growing congregations that are winning the hearts and men's and boys. I would love for, I may have to purchase the book because I want to go into these fast-growing churches and see where they are in 2022. If this is 2011, I want to look at the, and see where are they now, all right? Because they supposedly found uh, the secret, right? Um, Then he takes you inside uh, several fast-growing churches congregations that are winning the hearts of men and boys. Church is boring. It's irrelevant. It's full of hypocrites. You've heard the excuses. Now learn the real reason men and boys are fleeing the church of every kind all over the world. Christianity is the only world religion with a chronic shortage of men. David Moreau identifies the barriers to male participation and explains why it's so hard to motivate the men who do go to church. All right, they're, they're repeating what they've already said. Okay, then they go on to say, the first release of Why Men Hate Going to Church sold more than 125,000 copies and was published in multiple languages. This edition is completely revised, reorganized, and rewritten with more than 70% new content. Why Men Hate Going to Church does not call men back to church. It calls the church back to men. There you have it. I don't know when the original one was written. They have the date here, October 31st, 2011. I don't know if that was for the original or for the updated version, but um, yeah, I probably yeah, I, I probably need to read it at some point. I, I'll probably just get frustrated, but there you go. Um, you, you can give me your thoughts. You can email me your thoughts, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I'm going to post the book within the Discord channel. Give me one second here. I'm going to post this within the Discord channel. So anyone in the Discord channel, if they're listening, they now have access to the book. Here we go. There we go. All right. And those who are not listening will go into the Discord channel like, why did you post this book? Well, there you have it. I will also add it. Let me do this. If you're part of the Theology Central Book Club, I'm going to add this to the book club right now. 
And guess what? People will get a notification. So if you're not a part of the Theology Central Book Club, go, go to theologycentral.net, theologycentral.net. Look for the drop-down menu. It'll say the, join the Theology Central Book Club. You simply click on that. You join. It's free. You don't have to ever buy anything. If you do buy anything, I don't get a dime. It just makes it easy when I talk about a book. Or I can I can immediately recommend it so that's easy for people to find. So if they want to get it, I would challenge you to at least read it, see what you think. I mean, obviously, I've got major problems with the man's philosophy, you know, the way to get men back are 10-minute sermons is just absolutely the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I believe that's completely unbiblical. I do like trying to hear his his reasoning and thinking, and I think he does bring up some interesting things about maybe how men view church and maybe why they act a certain way with church. I do think they bring up some interesting things, but I'm not going to go back through everything we've talked about because we're at 59 minutes and 15, uh, we're at one hour right now. So that means all the men stopped listening about 50 minutes ago. And probably the only people listening to me right now are women. Okay. Because women seem to have the ability to listen. Okay. I, I do. But I do find it interesting that say with the Bible study exercises, man, I'm out there giving homework, 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 homework. It's the women who do the homework. And if there's someone who wants to argue, if, if I'm going to get an email that's argumentative, that's debating, it's going to be from a man. That's, that, that, that's something all men need to look at. Why, why, why are women willing to actually do the work and study and participate in a, in a humble learning way where men are like, I'm not going to do the work, but I'll argue with you. I'm not going to do the homework. I'm not going to, but I'll argue with you. Like, what, what is that? Like, I think that's something that has to be looked into. But we'll talk about that in another episode of the Theology Central podcast. This is a part of this episode is a part of the series we call Eye on Christianity. If you download the Church One app, Church O N E, Church O N E, go to series, Eye on Christianity. There's well over 100 episodes dealing with things going on within the church. Uh, the Bible study exercise series, well over 200 there. I mean, we put, we, we produce about 900 episodes a year. So uh, there, there's plenty of content. And I just tell you to download the Church One app because it's the easiest way because you just download Church One, search for Theology Central, and it becomes the Theology Central app. You get notified when we go live. You can listen to us live. Um, you can listen to us live on other platforms as well. Some people just download the Church One app just for the notifications. I can also send out notices. And uh, while well, all of the content is, is organized, far better than it is on other platforms. So it's just easy to find things. But there you go. You can email me always newsif at yahoo.com. And I'd love to get your thoughts and opinions. Those on YouTube, you know what to do. Uh, just start start putting things in the comments. All right. Everyone have a great day. We'll be back on the air. We're going to be doing live broadcasts probably uh, off and on throughout the day, maybe into the evening. And uh, hopefully something we do will be beneficial or a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. God bless.